Hey, this is Steve Bloom, and you are listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Cinema Geeks. I am one of your Cinema Geeks, Optimus Solo, and joining me today is... Ladies first, Hardcane Demandy. Can you spit it out? No. Spit it out? <laughs> and Movie Revolt Dan, hello. Hey, you spit that out a lot better. <laughs> See where I rank. And Friendly Set. I'm the last, that means I'm the least lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And today we... Aww. <laughs> and today we are back at it again, revisiting our ongoing journey to the top film of all time as we make our way through our 100 top films and uh, we've already given you multiple episodes as we do this 10 at a time and today we find ourselves in the world of 71 through 70? Can I do math? 70 through 61? 70 through 61, yeah. There That's how numbers work. 70 through 61. Before we get started with our actual picks for this chunk of the countdown. Matt, what do we have to look forward to with your picks today? Well, it's going to start off really uh, classic and get very unclassic and probably have at least one controversial, maybe? Nice. A little a little of everything. Dan, if you're looking at the, the picks that you've revealed so far in the first 30 movies that we've uh, revealed, do, are there any that you would think people might be surprised that they're not higher on the list or that they've already already been mentioned? Are the ones that I've already mentioned? Yeah. Um, I think so. Like, you know, some that come to mind, like Casablanca, I know, is like the top there for like a lot higher for a lot of people. And uh, I'm sure I've had a few that people are like, why is that even on your list? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, I, I think so. I think and there will be one today that I think would rank in a lot of people's top five, mm-hmm. you know, top one, top three. That is going to be, you know, in my top, not break my top 60. So, yeah, uh, we'll see. that's kind of the reason I asked it, because I'm looking at the at the films that I'm um, about to talk about today. And I think there are a few that I'm going to talk about that people are going to be a little bit um, surprised that they're not higher on the list. I don't know if I've had any so far that I would put up there. Maybe Unforgiven that some people would rate a little bit higher than I've already talked about it. But I, I think there's a, definitely a couple that might come up today that people would expect to be closer to the top 10 range. Amanda? Any theme for your picks today? Any any year themes or genres or anything that you uh, think highlights your chunk today? I'm really not sure how you guys are going to take some of my picks from um, this section, but it's definitely uh, a chunk of movies that uh, they were the love for them were instilled when I was younger, but not too much younger. So uh, this is kind of like on the brink of coming of age here, I would say. Okay. Sounds good. Well, Matt, why don't you kick us off today and give us your first pick? All right. So going with things that, uh, like I said, are classic and Dan said uh, might deserve to be way lower in some people's list, I'm going to go Gone with the Wind. Interesting. Uh, Your Christmas movie, huh? Yeah. I don't watch many Christmas movies, but every Christmas, uh, Amy and I get together with some of her friends from high school, and we watch Gone with the Wind. And it's pretty amazing, and that, like, I don't know. It's a great movie. Uh, it's a slog in that it's, like, four hours long, 
it's like two DVDs, I think. I could be wrong about that, but it feels like it takes forever. But it's great. I've got a lot of good memories. There's a lot of just amazing moments. Like, if you haven't seen it, you should see it at least once in your life. I'm still, uh, I'm still having to do that because I have not achieved that uh, goal yet. I saw it for the first time in my life this this year, so there you go. So, I think a lot it was of on people, my list of shame. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would would expect this to come up in a top 100 discussion. It's a, definitely got a lot of acclaim, but I can't speak to it since I have not seen it yet. Amanda, you've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. It was one of my mom's favorites. Um, definitely something that it was hard for me to sit through when I was younger, but super iconic, and it, it was just gorgeous cinematography for the time, too, like just great epic shots and, and you know, gazes and, and memorable lines. And there were, I would say it's a pretty heavy movie, too. It's not like a, like a fancy-free you know, carefree love movie either. There's, I mean, it's in the middle of a war, there, you know, there's wartime, there's there's all kinds of strife that happens too, so it's, it's a deep movie. Dan, you said you saw it for the first time this year. Well, what was your take? Do you think it was something that was List of Shame worthy? Uh, I think it's List of Shame worthy in the sense, in large part, due to just, like, its iconic nature and, and even in, on just a technical standpoint, it's impressive. Um, I, I think... For me, like it, it doesn't hold up as well as some of my favorite classic films. But as just a piece of Hollywood classic cinema, right. and if you're like you're a fan of movies, I do think it's one that you do need to watch just to see its place in history. So yeah, all right, Amanda, are you starting as far back as Matt did? Uh, no, not quite. Where do you start with your number seventy? I'm starting in 1999. We're at a party. Like it's 1999 with this one, uh, not really, but it's the Mummy. The Mummy. The Mummy. Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, um, Odette Fair. Uh, super epic world building. Sparked a bunch of other films, even a shitty one with The Rock. And I think that it was something that um, really took hold of me. Like I really liked the special effects. It freaked me the hell out. I think that there was, you know, a, enough comedy in there, and there was also this, you know, all these relationships that I really liked, and it, it was definitely an epic action adventure too, and it's something that, you know, I can I can dig with the, the monsters and the shooting and the whatnot, and it, it was a cool time period to see too, so I really dug it. You like it better than the one with The Rock, you said? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen all of them, um, even the one with, um, is it Jet Li? I think it's Jet Li. And they, they, I think the original one is definitely the best, just because, just like with the Pirates of the Caribbean, it's something kind of new, and it, you know it was exciting for the time, and it just kind of dwindled as it went. But I, I think that it, even the second one, still brought like a you know the epic nature, and and I definitely got down on those ones too. I don't know if it was just because I was the wrong age or something. I don't know. I, I, I could never take the Mummy franchise serious. It, it was, I always felt like it was trying to be something that it didn't ever quite achieve. But uh, I don't know. I, not a, I think they're fun to watch, I guess, but I, I've never taken them like serious as movies. But I, I just really liked it. And I think that's another theme in, in my section that we're going to cover today is all these movies are movies that I've watched a ton of times, like over and over again. I don't have any, like, you know, one-time watches or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Matt, are you a fan of The Mummy? 
Uh, I remember enjoying it as a kid, but I can't say that I've watched it in over a decade, so, like, I can't really speak to it. Right. Um, I, actually, her talking about it makes me want to rewatch it, especially in the wake of having seen uh, Tomb Raider, <laughs> to see how it stacks up against that. Yeah, that might be a good comparison. Alright, for my number 70, I'm going to start with uh, only one year behind you, Amanda. I'm going to go to 1998. Uh, I, I think this one, some people would would question me putting it in the top 100, but I just really like kind of how it symbolizes a time period in American history and uh, kind of that whole movement into the the suburban life where people were, where suburbs were starting to be a thing, and I'm going with Pleasantville from 1998. I did not like this as much on a first watch, but... Uh, I had to watch this later on. I was a uh, substitute teaching for somebody, and, of course, the thing to do when someone's a substitute teacher is just throw movies on. And uh, they were watching this, but it actually fit with what they were talking about in the history class, and I, I kind of started paying attention to it a lot more because I had to see it, like, seven times that day. And uh, I, I just started to appreciate a little bit more of the nuances from it. Uh, it gets much better better critical reviews than than like just general audiences. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes it only has a 79 as far as the audience go, which is still a decent score. But I definitely don't hear many people talking about it, so I, I feel like it maybe hasn't uh, had the staying power that a lot of these other films do. But it was good enough for me to put it in the top 100. Is this where it's like black and white at first, and then yep. like they start realizing stuff and it changes to color? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Pleasantville for me, Dan. What do you have at number seventy? I'm around the same time period as you guys, going to the year two thousand one, going to a director I know. I'm pretty sure Kevin, you're a big fan of with Ridley Scott, and going with a war film. I've had a few on my list so far, and I have another one here, and going with Black Hawk Down for my number nice. seventy, which is a movie I feel like I have a weird relationship with, where it's like, yeah, I really like that movie. I'm like, oh, that wasn't very good, and then we watch it, and I'm like, oh wow, this is a really great movie. Why did I think that? Um, and like, I rewatched it recently, I think last year sometime, and it's such a, a highly tense film throughout. Uh, some great set pieces, and just I think what's arguably one of Ridley Scott's best main movies. Uh, it, it, it does a lot of uh, techniques when it comes to uh, using like satellite imagery and things like that that we see repeated now throughout. That was very new at the time. Um, certainly, kind of encapsulated a moment that was rather dark and uh, kind of uh, shocking, and it, it, it's quite a good movie, though, and, you know, it has, its cast is insane. There are so many people in it that, you know, Diesel? we're... Yes, Vin Diesel, of course, is a huge star of it. Um, no, <laughs> everyone from Orlando Bloom, Ewan McGregor, John, uh, Josh Hartnett, of course, is one of the... Eric Bana, like, it's it's got a lot. If you're playing one of those games where you try to guess a movie someone's in, <laughs> Black Hawk Down's a good one to go with because there's a lot of people in it, but... A lot of them are unrecognizable, but it's, I, I don't know, I think it's a really great film that, that still, in some ways, I think it's forgotten, maybe because Ridley Scott hasn't made, a, has had a kind of a downward trend the last few years, even though The Martian was great two years ago, but uh, I don't know, it's my I, number 70, is Black Hawk Down. Go ahead, Amanda. Uh, I think that having you put it on your list makes me be like, damn, why the fuck didn't I put this on my list? Because it's such a powerful movie, but I think I tend to, like, push it out of my mind because it disturbed the shit out of me. Like, a lot of these, you know, tense scenarios that, that happen, it, it 
it's is so real that it it puts you in into the situation and it takes you along for that ride and it, war movies especially really tend to to get to me and I just yeah I think I, I just tend to like push it out of my mind when I'm watching it I'm like this is an amazing movie yeah I, I do think when Ridley Scott's on top of his game he does he does put out good films and I'm a fan of of quite a few of his films he has his misses as well i think black hawk down like you said is is for some reason gets forgotten or gets uh left out of the conversation and it really shouldn't i mean this film came out the same year that pearl harbor did and it is like 500 times better a film than pearl yeah. harbor so i mean I, as far as like war films and kind of the the type of war and the time period of war that it was depicting i, I think it did it in an excellent way i i need to revisit I, this one i remember go ahead I remember, like, watching it, too, and, like, yeah, like, a few years earlier, uh, you know, uh, Saving Private Ryan came out, and everyone knows how visceral that film is, but this felt different in the sense, because I mean, watching it at the time, you know, I'm he's a sophomore, a freshman in high school, and this one felt more real, because it was dealing with something that was right. only, like, a few years earlier, so, you know, where World War II felt very distant and something that was a long ago... Like this one, I think had an even bigger impact on me, even though I don't think is as good of a film as Saving Private Ryan, mainly because of you know the area it was tackling. It was you know this was just recent, so it right. made it a little bit more impactful to me. I think it's definitely top 100 worthy. I think it's like you said, it, it needs a little bit more love. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Matt, what do you have for your number 69? Well, you guys are all in the 90s, 2000s, so I'll come a little closer to you guys and come with the. 50s and the day the earth stood still nice that's a great show one per decade um, as you move your way towards modern times i like it yeah 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 oh i mean this was 12 years later actually <laughs> so what do you like about about this film that makes it uh, this this high up on your top 100 i'm terrible at this list like it's it's very memorable to me i've, I've seen both the original and the remake the remake kind of misses the point the remake could have been so much better if they had just called it a sequel and changed just a few minor tweaks. It would have been, like, perfect. Because, like, cause it's it's a whole, um, you know, anti-Cold uh, War thing. Like, hey, you guys are, are on a path to destruction. You're going to destroy yourselves. Um, you need to get rid of war. Like, And then, like, we didn't do that. So if they had done that in the, in the, the remake and made it a sequel and had him actually just come and attack us, it would have been a way better movie. And you could have had a dumb action movie for no reason. I, it's it's uh, it's one of Amy's favorite movies, and uh, I, it's definitely list of shame worthy if you haven't seen it. It's really classic science fiction. Like, I don't know, it's low tech, but it's still great. It's, it's you know... It's, a, yeah. it's on my list of shame. It's, uh, I have not seen this one yet. I don't know why. I've got all the DVD I, versions was, you need. <laughs> I I almost put this on my top 100 too. It is it is quite quite a good movie. It uh it one like very early science fiction in the sense of of that time where there isn't a, most of the film isn't necessarily science fiction. It's a lot of like fish out of water drama in a way because you have them kind of coming down to earth and trying to uh, view our world and whatnot. But uh, I think you know great message and yeah like. Almost, you could say, like, an extended Twilight episode, but in a very good way. And, uh, yeah, it's an excellent film. Very influential and, you know, one of the best of its time and still classic today. Yeah, I definitely need to bump it up a little bit on the on the priority list to get that one, get that one watched. That I'll put that right ahead of Gone with the Wind. 
You would. <laughs> Amanda, what do you got at your number 69? You can watch it twice and still have time left. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm not moving too far away from my first pick. I'm staying in the 90s. 1997, Men in Black. Got Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones. Love the buddy cop feel, their camaraderie, their banter, their dynamic back and forth. Awesome universe building, really, here. And I think that all the, the creatures and the tech that they used, it was, it was spot on for me. Everything that... I, I love out of a movie, really. It even had explosions and gunfire and monsters and crazy shit and, and funny stuff. Right up your alley. Yeah, so and it is another one that sparked a few movies, and I, I've seen them all. I think they're all pretty cute. Um, definitely not as good as the first one, but I, I feel like it's the same thing where we, we didn't have that before. And so it, it was more unique than the first one. But I, I think it definitely carried the feel throughout, and... I don't know. I, I love me some Will Smith. Love me some Tommy Lee Jones. Put them together in this kind of movie, and it's a it's a recipe for success. I'd say. All right, Men in Black. I don't I don't hear. Oh, when you there was a delay there. I thought you were gonna say Men in Tights. I wasn't sure. Where <laughs> we going? Either would either acceptable. Either acceptable. Right. I don't think that I've ever heard too many negative comments about Men in Black. It's just a fun a fun film overall, and Will Smith doing his thing. So I've seen it a billion times, and I will keep watching it. If I just happen to see it on TV, I'm leaving it. <laughs> nice. All right, for my number 69, I'm going to stay in the 90s. Uh, from a director that is not the last time you'll see him appear on my list, Robert Zemeckis. And I'm going with the classic. A lot of people maybe would say this one should be higher, but I'll go with Forrest Gump right here at number 69. I, I enjoyed this film when I saw it the first time, but I never quite got the hysteria that was surrounding it back in 1994-95, that time period. I mean, people were losing their shit about Forrest Gump. And I thought it was good, but I, I didn't quite ever understand that. I've since kind of appreciated it a little bit more than that, but I still don't quite think it's, you know, top 50 worthy or anything like that, but but I think it's good enough, and it has, I mean, Tom Hanks is incredible, as he usually is. There is a whole lot of Americana uh, throughout. Um, I think there's there are some minor issues with the film, but I still think it's worthy for... Why would you have minor issues with fucking Forrest Gump? There was nothing wrong with that movie at all. It's an impeccable film. Okay, so apparently we might hear more thoughts on Forrest Gump from Amanda as we continue our countdown. But for me, maybe, maybe not. But I'm just gonna say it right now: don't shit on this movie. Hey, it's in my top 100, so I'm not shitting on it. I just, I just don't quite find the argument for it being like top 10 worthy or or top 20 worthy, maybe. But 69, I think is a good spot for Forrest Gump. That's what Jenny would say. <laughs> Damn. All right, uh, next on my list, you said I think the mine actually might even arguably get more complaints that it's not higher and it's in the way like i shouldn't i feel like when i talked about this movie i have to explain why it's not higher not where it is and for 69 i have the godfather oh wow yeah i know it's like why isn't it higher and and i think the reason why it's not higher for me is that yeah it's i mean it's one of the best movies ever made sure without a doubt like there's that's certainly in the question but this is not what this list is and i guess for me the godfather while i've always enjoyed it it just never hit like it I've never had that personal experience I've had with other films that I'm putting higher than it, you know, uh, that may, that are in a relatively the same genre and maybe much higher 
I've always enjoyed it, but it's I've almost like almost from afar in a way, where it's like going to a museum, observing it, and I just never got engulfed in it. And maybe it's because I never saw it in the right setting. Obviously, I love it. I appreciated it. It's great. It's in my top 100 favorite films. But the reason it's not higher is because of those things. And now this isn't something I'm grading based upon quality. It's based upon my personal feelings towards it or my personal uh, relationship towards the film. So uh, I, it's climbed a lot higher for me. I've, I've only really, I think, sat down and watched it like once, twice, really, in, for, in my life. Like I've seen it like bits and pieces here and there, but like I think fully as an adult that can completely, I think, appreciate it. So I think maybe if I watched it more, that appreciation will grow and I'll see it rise up my top 100. But for right now, it's at number 69. You just have to watch the, uh, the, the that chronological version that's like six hours. The one that's like eight long. hours long yes, or whatever. <laughs> something yeah. like that. I haven't watched it. It's on my DVR, but I have not watched it. But uh, yeah, all of a sudden we're, we're listing films in our top 100 and making them sound like they're they're not films we love. It's kind of interesting the way we did that with Forrest Gump and, and Godfather. But, yeah, it's like I have to defend why it's out of higher. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's both, they both showed up on our top 100, folks. Matt? What do you got next? Man, I'm just like looking at my list. Like, I, I do feel like that. Like, like some of these are really great. Some of these, I don't know, are they great? My next one is the X Men franchise. I'm gonna have a lot of comic book movies. I'm a comic book guy. It kind of goes without saying. But if I had to pick one to say this is the best of all of the X Men movies, which we've had what like nine now, if we count the Wolverine <laughs> ones, I'm gonna say it's probably Days of Future Past. Nice. Um clearly better than apocalypse um and the one that came right before it first class but that whole trilogy is better than the original trilogy as a whole i think they they I mean, the thing that's great about the x-men movies is that uh in their own special way they're kind of still the same one franchise without any real reboots like we have like a weird in-universe reboot even though that the scenes of that movie couldn't necessarily have taken place with the scenes of the other movies having also taken place but, you know, you're going to have to just go with it, like, which makes it, the, you know, the longest running comic book franchise because Batman keeps resetting every couple of years and or even, yeah, every couple of years. So, like, I don't know, it's it's classic in in that genre because it's not a genre that's been around for very long. Um, there's a there's a there's a lot of clunkers, like no doubt. But there's a lot of good stuff, too. And uh, I'm, I'm for them still doing more. And the actors that they got in over the course of those, you know, eight nine movies are just ridiculously top notch. Dan, you usually put, uh, I know, if I remember, you usually put First Class a little bit ahead of Days of Future Past. Do you agree though that that second trilogy is better than the first one? I, I think so. I think overall, with Days of Future Past and First Class, I would say it's it's stronger. Um, you know, I I would how we would rank those in X two because I think I'd put both of those over X two. I, I appreciate like X the first X Men movie kind of it's it's almost unfair to compare it to everything else because it was like the first one to really do anything like that. So it had such a small budget, and I think it's actually better than people give it credit for. It's very economical and what it's able to accomplish, especially if you look at other team movies and stuff like that. How it's able to introduce all these characters and kind of make this world work in such a small small film. And but uh, yeah, like Matt mentioned, there are a lot of clunkers. X Men Three, the Wolverine movies, and the continuity stuff doesn't make sense. But I will say that I will have more on my favorite X Men movie coming up in later countdown. So all right, sounds good, Amanda. Any love for the X Men, and where are you going for your next pick? Um, I will also hold off 
a minute or two for the X-Men. Consensus on the X-Men. All right, what do you got as your next film, though? 68. I've got a comic book film as well from 2005. Constantine. Keanu, of course. Rachel Weiss. <laughs> it's the second movie already with Rachel Weiss, and I'm not really sure. Uh, Jimon Hansu. Tilda Swinton in one of my favorite roles of hers. And this is another one that I've seen a billion freaking times. I'm so sad that there aren't more movies with Keanu as John Constantine. I think the world building here, this is another one where it just blew me the fuck away. Like visuals, all the action, the relationships that were built up and broken down here. Just even the, the soundtrack was amazing. So uh, just definitely one of my all-time favorite comic book movies. All right. I I think I've seen this once, but I don't remember much about it. Every time I try to get you to watch it and start watching, you're like, yeah, I've seen this, I remember all this. Yeah. Sorry. I need to pay attention better when I'm watching Constantine, apparently. All right. Uh, have you guys seen Constantine? Where do you think about that one? I do like it. It's um, I know it's some people hate it because it's like nothing like the comic, but I do actually remember seeing that multiple times in theaters for whatever reason, but... I enjoy it. It's a, uh, you know, and Shia LaBeouf's in there, so there you go. Oh, man. Shia Which is maybe why they never made a sequel. <laughs> uh, no, they can make a sequel. Well, they're going to bring Constantine back in the Justice League Dark movie that they're proposing, right? But is it going to be the guy from the well, TV show they just popped off? Who knows, no, man. I think that, who knows, yeah, I think that got scrapped anyways, but the, now they're the, making the a cartoon, did, so... Yeah. Who knows? It's the, also, like, the DC Cinematic Universe... <laughs> Like, how has it not all been scrapped after the last couple? <laughs> Pretty true. Uh, for my number 68, I'm going to go into the 2000 decade. I've talked about this multiple times on the show, so I'm not really going to say too much about it. It is uh, also from a director that is going to make another appearance later on in my countdown, and that's Mel Gibson. And it's also possibly with the worst uh, critical response out of any film outside of my number 100, which was Swing Kids, which I think had like a 30-something on Rotten Tomatoes. This one only has a 49 but uh, I will be uh, going with Passion of the Christ from 2004 as my number 68. I've talked about it before, so I will save my breath on that one. I think people either love this movie or hate this movie. I don't think there's a lot of in-between. So, uh, But for me, it's good enough to be in the top 100. Dan, what, what do you got next? On uh, my number 68, I'm going to go with a relatively recent film, another one from 2012, uh, and it's from Ang Lee, and it's Life of Pi. Uh, it's... I mean, I like. I I was really impressed with this movie when I first saw it for a lot of different reasons. Visually, I I think it's one of the best films of the last ten, fifteen, twenty years in in what it's able to do. There's just so much. It's like a visual feast for the eyes. It's amazing to look at for so many different reasons. Even how it uses 3D. I'm not a huge 3D fan, but I think there was a lot of inventive uses of it, and actually did make the movie better. Um, how it how it used the aspect ratio and um, what's in the foreground and the, like the further there's a scene when the when the boat's sinking and you see him under the water and that really was hammered home using a 3D effect. Uh, it's it's so it's I think it's like one of the best films to ever ta- tackle some really hefty material like religion and do it in a smart way and I, I feel like it has the best metaphor for it ever and I know it was coming from this book people thought it was unfilmable and then special effects wise it's just phenomenal and the fact that the the actor in it it's the first time he's ever done any professional acting is amazing the guy is legitimately by himself for the vast majority of the movie so the movie i I think i love and appreciate on so many different levels so that's why it's my number 68 i think that's the best description of that movie when you say something about you know 
all the different levels that you can appreciate that one. I love when a film can do multiple things so well at the same time that have really little to do with each other. Like, it's completely separate things, but they're doing both of them so well. And for this one, you have, like, all the different metaphors and meanings and, and the way it's tackling religion, but then you have this just visual masterpiece where it was just absolutely remarkable to watch and just kind of jaw-dropping visuals that you hadn't seen before. And, you know, trying to trying to watch that back, like, on the second or third or fourth viewing and figure out what's real and what's CG is just insanity um I, I feel like it was a little even ahead of its time i know it's 2012 or 2012 right yeah but it, it still felt like something that shouldn't have been possible at that point so yeah i love life of pi it was uh easily one of the best films of, of this time period so i'm in complete agreement with you on that one all right matt what do you have coming in at number 67 all right, uh, this one's already come up, so I don't need to say much, but uh, my next one is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang via Amanda. Uh, <laughs> watched it with Kevin and Nate. It was It's great. Like It's hilarious. It's fun. It's kind of what I usually want out of a movie, which is just to sit down and, and enjoy myself and not have to be too stressed or anything. It's another one of those that doesn't have ever anything hardly bad said about it. I don't think I've ever heard somebody poop on kiss kiss bang bang so better not be pooping on kiss kiss bang bang which is probably why it's on multiple people's list here uh, involved in this uh little trek through our top 100 which is so. why we're all still friends <laughs> so if matt would not have liked kiss kiss bang bang he wouldn't have put it on his list and we wouldn't be having this conversation so we <laughs> all would right. also still be friends doing some <laughs> all right I felt like we were going back to that x-men discussion and traveling through time and doing different scenarios <laughs> all right amanda We've all talked about how we like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, so I guess we don't need to go too much further into that, but what do you have yourself at number 67? 67. Um, I'm taking it into 1996. Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, Twister. Twister? Yeah, I th this movie scared the shit out of me when I was younger. We had a lot of tornadoes, and uh, this was a very real movie for me. Like, I'm in the Midwest, cow country, definitely ready for any of these situations to happen and the stakes were real man and the tension was high and i also think there was a great feel of like camaraderie but even like the special effects in this movie were really really awesome and it's just something that stuck with me all the time like i can see probably any scene in this movie and be able to pick it up and know it yeah. i'm a big i like twister i haven't seen it very often i think i've only maybe seen it twice at the most but i remember enjoying it both times so I think that's a it's a classic 90s um, good film it was the first dvd ever created too so it's got that going for it yes so. sir really that's amazing nice, nice. Fact. I didn't know that. <laughs> all right for my number uh 67 i think this might be a little bit more polarizing maybe a lot of people wouldn't put this on their top 100 um but it's from 2006 from mark forrester and that is stranger than fiction I like this movie probably more than I should, and I've liked it ever since the very first time I watched it. I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. I didn't know anything about it. I just, you know, saw that Will Ferrell was in it, and it sounded interesting, and I was blown away by that. I, I love the commentary that it's making, social commentary. I love Will Ferrell in this film, um, not necessarily just being his his crazy comedic self uh, like we like the like we see a lot. I mean, not to say that there's not funny moments and not comedic uh, aspects to this film, but 
Um, definitely not his typical fare from from that time period. So I, I just I think there's a lot to dissect in Stranger Than Fiction. I think there's things that you can watch a second or third time and pick up on things that you didn't necessarily catch the first time. Uh, the voiceover work by I believe that's is that Emma Tilda. Thompson. Oh, is it? Okay. Or Tilda Swinton. Maybe it's Emma Thompson. I think it's Emma Thompson. Um, but I, I think that voice work is phenomenal. It's kind of like the voiceover narrator kind of taking us through this story. And I'm just a big fan. I can see why it wouldn't work for some people, but for me it works well enough even to get itself into my top 70. Dan? Very, all right. Very nice. Yeah, I, that's, you know, I think a lot of people tend to go to that as, like, one of Real Farrell's best movies. But mostly because it's, like, something different for him, for sure. Right. So, all right, for mine 67, I'm going to go to a director that I already mentioned once before with Days and Confused. And uh, similar to Matt, it's kind of a franchise, I guess you would say, with the Before Trilogy, or I would specify if I went with one film, Before Midnight, which I feel like is my favorite out of all three. Uh, it's, a, it's a type of form, films, these are types of films that I think are not for everyone, for sure, because legitimately kind of surround two people walking and talking, pontificating about the intricacies of life, So, which it may not work, but what I, I don't know, there's such an authenticity to these people, and you can definitely tell that so much of Linklater's life, as well as Ethan, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy's, Delpy's life, is kind of intertwined into these characters, and you get to see them grow in like, you know, these different time chunks, you know, nine, nine years apart or so, and see them kind of change from these, you know, adolescent kids to, you know, people in their mid-30s to people that are in their, in, in their 40s still trying to figure out life. And um, I think Before Midnight, to me, is my favorite because it feels the most the dynamic and what it's able to accomplish. The other two, like, they're great, but I feel like Midnight has more to it. There's a more bite to it. It's not nearly as... Um, I would say as positive in, in a way, but it, it, I really always really enjoyed these movies. Um, there's just something special about them that I've always liked about Linklater. They're simple but brilliant, and they're you know slice of life. They aren't trying to do too much. They're just kind of like here these people are, watch them. That's pretty much it. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely a series I need to get to because. Uh, it, it gets brought up so much in the podcast community, and it's always with a lot of love. A lot of people tout it as you know one of the best trilogies of all time, and I just need to to get this set on the queue and, and watch it finally. I don't know what the reason I put it off so far is. Yeah, I, I will definitely say before midnight. I mean, it, it doesn't. It very it feels very '90s, like if I remember the everything. But it's you know it's very much of, of its time. Awesome. It's giving that warning. So. So I think I've said this a bunch, and I, I was trying to avoid saying it because, uh, I don't know, I don't want to be too repetitive, but I think this is the last stretch of movies where it's like I, most of these I've seen once or twice, and I, I really enjoy them, I really have fond memories, but I maybe can't speak on them very well. And this next one uh, probably doesn't deserve to be nearly as high as it is, but I enjoyed it, and I love the stories of behind the scenes, which is which really helps a movie. Like if I if I hear a documentary, I hear you know interviews with the cast or the director, uh, um, that always always bumps a movie up in my list. And that's Cop Out. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis. Uh, Tracy Morgan. Yes. Directed by Kevin Smith. Um, very funny. It's very fun movie. Um, certainly predictable. Um, but just like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang's got a lot of fun moments. It's funny. You can sit down and just watch it and enjoy it. Um, and if you ever get a chance and hear Kevin Smith talk about, because um, going into it, Bruce Willis was like one of his heroes, 
And then uh, when he comes out of it, he's not a big fan of Bruce Willis anymore. But all the things he has to say about Tracy Morgan and how professional he is and how great he is, like it just it just sounds amazing. And I wish I could have been there because it, it it was a fun movie. Tracy Morgan is definitely like the heart of that movie. Yeah, dude, he's great. And uh, Sean William Scott popping up, like his character <laughs> was fun, parkour. And I think that it, the buddy cop feel in this, it was a lot of back and forth. And I think there was some really funny lines and, and cute stuff said, too, and, and a show of their camaraderie here and there, especially, like, at the end of the wedding. So I thought that was pretty fun. It's right. a great movie. Amanda, what do you have next? All right, now we're going to talk about X-Men a little more. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not going to do any super specifics on this. I'm going to go. We're going to touch on the first one here, the one that came out in 2000. This is the one I watched on fucking repeat. Like I would go to sleep to this movie every night. I had the tape of the VHS, and I wore the motherfucker out and had to bump up and upgrade to the DVD. But it, it just sparked this whole huge franchise, and I was in love with the cartoon um, as a kid in the 90s, and was super excited when I found out this movie was coming out, and I'm still equally as excited when I find out a, a new installment's happening. And, I mean, not really much more to be said. Alright, double X-Men love here on today's seg- uh, episode. Nice. For my next one, I'm going to go a uh, pretty recent film here from 2010 from another director that you for sure will not hear. The This will not be the last time you hear me talk about him. Dan, I'm sure you have this one uh, possibly a little bit higher up on your list, but I'm going with number 66 as a placement for it, and that is The Social Network from 2010 and David Fincher. Uh, I just think this movie was way better than I ever expected it to be. Uh, I think the acting is phenomenal. Uh, really helped kind of put uh, or solidify a couple people in my eyes, like Andrew Garfield. Um, and yeah, obviously, it's a relevant subject. It's uh, you know our world right now is uh, is revolving around social media and, and Facebook and the things like that. So I think it's a, a really good job in kind of exploring the the ins and outs of that and, and some some common social commentary as well. Uh, like I said, I wasn't expecting much when I found out that they were doing a film about this subject, but it blew me away when I when I watched it. And I think it was in a lot of people's top ten. So Social Network for me is is top one hundred worthy. It's got Justin Timberlake in it, and I have never seen it, so be fucking shocked. Well, we can put it in. I will be. Right. <laughs> Better be shocked. <laughs> All right, so from Social Network for me, Dan, what do you got at your number 66? Uh, my number 66, I'm actually going with, an, again, another director that I've had on my list, another very iconic director. Um, though some of his films, people may argue, better may not end up on my list, but this one is, and I'm going with Stanley Kubrick's The Killing from 1956. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a huge fan of the crime genre, a noir classic, and this is very much that. It's, you know, this heist film of classic, you know, Hollywood style with great voiceover, great casting. Uh, Sterling Hating is amazing in this movie, and uh, it's just that class. you know, that when I think of old-time uh crime films, this is one that comes to mind. It's usually when people like, hey, I'm not a Stanley Kubrick fan, I find his movies overly pretentious and what have you, I tend, there's a few ones, I either give them Path of Glory or a Killing and like, hey, he makes other movies too and I think it's kind of a good lead in he, before Kubrick became the Kubrick of 2001 and, and uh, other movies. I think this one is not, it's more, I think, simple maybe as a 
movie is not as complex or as uh, kind of uh, the achievement of something like 2001, but it's just it hits all, all the all the buttons I'm looking for in a great great crime story. So uh, that's why it's on my list. The Killing at number 66. Another film that I need to add. There's been more films mentioned today that I need to add to my queue than I think in any other segment of the countdown so far. So just making me feel bad for not seeing enough movies. This is yeah. not about just you. Kevin. And if you look, and it's one that you see like it's it's referenced a lot in a lot of other heist movies. Even like there are, there are certain nods and something like the town. And things like that with like the masks they use, I think, were certainly a nod to that movie. So uh, it's a good time. All right, Matt, take us to the next countdown spot in the countdown sixty-five. All right, so I already had the X-Men, so I, m- I might as well do the other massive franchise of classic superhero movies with uh, the Spider-Man movies, which I think the original trilogy did like the same thing the X-Men trilogy did, where they started off real strong, real original. And then by the third one, had really petered out. If I had to say my favorite one of all the Spider-Man movies is going to be the very first Amazing Spider-Man movie, like I think I think it'd be hard to do a better like representation of the original comics and like they just they they nailed it perfectly with that one. The second one was pretty good, and I'm a little upset they're not going to do a third one. And uh, got my breath held for Spider-Man: Homecoming. We'll see. But yeah, like we've all seen them, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, that I've heard recently talk about it talk about Spider-Man 2 possibly being one of the best comic book films of all time. I, I actually am like you, Matt. I, I liked what they were doing with the Amazing Spider-Man series better than the original trilogy. Uh, obviously, the studio got in the way in the second one a little bit, and then everything kind of fell apart. But I, I, I definitely liked the the people that were cast in the first Amazing Spider-Man better than the the original Spider-Man. But I think there's no denying the power of, of the Spider-Man franchise. And yeah, we will have to wait and see what happens with the, the homecoming. Amanda, what do you think about I, I definitely like the the Spider-Man flicks, um, Tobey Maguire, the Andrew Garfield ones. I, I can get down on it. And this new uh, this new version of Spider-Man, I'm definitely excited for too. I liked what I what I saw earlier this year, and I'm looking forward to more. Right. Dan, do you agree that Spider-Man Two is is the best one, or or are you more on the Amazing Spider-Man camp? I, I enjoy the first two more than the Amazing Spider-Man films. I uh, I like I, I like the first Amazing Spider-Man enough. I'm not I did not like a lot of the second one, mostly everything revolving around Electro, but I, I do really enjoy the first two. Um, I'm one of the weird people in, in who who thinks Tobey Maguire has been the best Spider-Man, but I know I'm uh, alone on that <laughs> on, on on that tree. But I will I will have more to say about Spider-Man and uh and, and as we continue to count down this list nice all right amanda then you're up with your number 65 pick um amazingly this is the first time that uh my favorite director i think is showing up on my list tim burton we'll see no not tim burton excuse me sir guillermo del toro oh yeah all right this is a 2004 hellboy ron fucking perlman I, mean, I think this is a, some really great comic book, graphic novel-looking action. This is another one. I feel like I'm a broken record with this, but this is another one in this chunk that has really great world-building, and the visuals are just stunning, which is what I come to expect from Del Toro. And uh, I love his work with color, and uh, I love the boldness of the look, and I think all the monsters and the creatures are so amazing. And it definitely has, like, some really cool, you know, relationships and stuff going on, too. And 
Um, I love the bad guys in, in these films, too. They're super awesome bad guys. Who knew that today was going to be the, the segment of the countdown with the most comic book films showing up? So, two X-Men mentions, Spider-Man, Hellboy. Interesting. All right. Constantine. Uh, Constantine. Uh, for my next one, I, if, if I hadn't picked one yet that people were up in arms as far as not being top 10 or top 20, then I surely will do that with my next pick because I think most people would have this in their top 5, top 10. Um, but for me, it's uh, all the way down here at number 65. Maybe I need to watch it a few more times. I, I certainly enjoy the film. It is in my top 100. I, I just can't put it ahead of uh, most of the films here that I have still to, to talk about. I'm going with 1994's Shawshank Redemption. I, I know, I know it's usually held as one of the best films of all time. For me, it's it's certainly worthy of being in that discussion, but I, I can't quite put it up that high, so it's going to fall down here at number 65, but I certainly very much enjoy the film, and, and Morgan Freeman's incredible, and uh, I think Frank, Frank Darabont did a good job in the direction here. Uh, so Shawshank Redemption, good enough to be in my top 100, just not quite as high as most people probably would put it. Well, it's actually not on my list, so... Yeah. There we go. It, it was my number 57, but I actually pulled it out because I don't think I can speak on it at all because I haven't seen it in a while. But, I mean, it is great. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I do need to watch it again. I've watched it probably two or three times over the years, but the last time was a long, long, long time ago. And back then, nobody was talking about it like that. It didn't seem like... It seems like it's just gotten legs over the last, like, 10 to 15 years and just gets talked about way yeah. more. Than I ever it's like TBS plays it like all the time, and yeah. <laughs> so. Morgan Freeman's become more and more like the respected, you know, it's become iconic with his voiceover and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So uh, direct all of your hate at the lack of Shawshank Redemption love towards us, and, and we will feel that. Uh, Dan, what do you have at your number sixty-five? Uh, my number sixty-five. I have another war film. I started with Black Hawk Down, but going to a World War II drama. Uh, Probably the greatest submarine movie ever made. Not that there's a huge list of submarine films. There's like <laughs> this and like, you know, uh, Death and Periscope and a few others. But uh, uh, Das Boot, uh, I'm going, uh, is my number 65 by Wolfgang Peterson. Again, another epic that there's a lot of different versions of this. You have like the theatrical version. There's like a miniseries version. But uh, it's a great film, great characters that are well-developed. And again, a huge, uh, one of the best uses of sound design ever because a lot of the time we're just spending it in this confined space with these guys really where you're all the tensions built on just pings and noises and it's so well directed and it holds up really well today so um again uh it's my number dos boot into the you know I, if you haven't seen it definitely go see it uh you know it is subtitled so i know that can kind of be a problem for some people but i do love it it's a great film yeah, I, I do want to watch that. I've only seen a couple of submarine films in my life. Like I said, there's not a ton of them, but I have enjoyed them. I, th I think of uh, U-571. Um, last year, we had the, what was it, the Black Sea, or Black Sea. Um, so I, I would definitely be down for watching this one. I think it adds in the immediate, the atmosphere immediately adds this tension to the film, and I'd be interested to see what that classic film did, did with that. So another film for me to put on my list. Matt, 64. All right, 64. Um, this movie, uh, I think, was awkwardly a defining moment in my childhood. It, I, like, It's like a, a great movie for anyone who's like eight, especially nowadays where video games have become so ubiquitous. 
Um, and that's the 80s classic, The Last Starfighter. Nice. Um, like, nice. It's, it's, it's just, it's so 80s, it's so video gamey. For those of you who don't know, it's about a kid who's so good at video games, they put him inside a spaceship so he can go win a galactic space war. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't need to say anything else. Isn't that, like, the greatest premise ever? It sounds like Ender's Game. Yeah, in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, in the 80s. <laughs> and, it, and it's definitely got an 80s flavor to it. Um, but he knows he's in the war. I think in Ender's... I, like, I haven't seen a Red Ender's game, but I thought that that was like... Yeah, it, they were, Yeah, and th- this one, he's just... He, he goes to arcades a lot and gets really good, and then the aliens show up and like, hey, you're really good, and we need someone to pilot our Starfighter. And so he goes and fights the war for him, and then like, Star Wipe, Star Wipe. <laughs> <laughs> How many kids actually went to the arcade and hoping this would happen? <laughs> All, of us. All of us. Some of us still do. This is the last thing that kept arcades going. Um, all right, nice pick there. 80s nostalgia, love it. Amanda, what do you got next? Let's do some more 80s nostalgia then. Um, I'm on board. Keeping it in 1988 with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. All right. I love the animation and the live action. I love all the characters. It's way better than Cool World. Sorry, Brad Pitt. And it was definitely fucking scary as a kid. Like, I thought the stakes were pretty freaking high. Like, you were about to get dipped, and you will be melted, and you were done for. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know if I saw this. I mean, I probably saw this pretty young. I was like a year when this movie came out. This probably was just floating around, and my parents let me watch it for whatever reason. And um, it definitely has a, a ton of rewatchability as an adult still too because it's definitely geared for adults but I, I think they're just like oh, animation this kid can watch it go ahead Amanda so <laughs> uh, it definitely a nostalgia factor iconic super iconic and a ton of fun and even it uh, has a little bit of that cop out factor it's got the cop buddy uh, mentality uh, you know feel to it too so yeah, it's good on a lot of different levels. Definitely groundbreaking and something that we had never really seen before to that level. So I think a lot of people would uh, agree that that is top 100 worthy. For my next pick on the countdown, I'm going to get some more hate because I don't know if I've ever seen a film get more hate because of the Academy than this film has because everybody always wants to rip on this and say it wasn't worthy of its accolades. And... Yeah, there was some other films that came out that year that maybe were more deserving, possibly, but uh, maybe it's just the fan of the the subject matter that makes me not necessarily disagree with some of the love that it got from 1998, and that is Shakespeare in Love. I know a lot of people don't uh, say good things about this film, but I am a humongous Shakespeare fan, and I just thought it was clever what they did, and and I... Hold up. Shakespeare fan, but you can't write me some poetry? Like, can't get some little romantic poetry things going on here? Oh, being called out. <laughs> Look at that. All right, I think he's blushing or something. Yeah. All right, so, but yeah, but I'm a huge fan of Shakespeare, and I, I like the way they kind of went around that subject matter and kind of what they did there. I think the there's a lot to like from this film. I can't speak a whole lot to it because I have not seen it in recent times, but I just remember even at an age where I should not have liked this film because I was in high school when this came out and I shouldn't necessarily have liked this. I was into you know, sports and trying to prove my manliness, I guess, probably in high school, and this is definitely far from that uh, uh model as far as what you would go to but I, I enjoyed it in high school I enjoyed it uh, seeing it again in college and that was probably the last time I've seen it so I need to revisit it but I don't think it deserves the amount of hate that it gets just because 
of what films that maybe stopped from winning Best Picture, etc., etc. So, Shakespeare in Love for me at number 64. Dan, what do you got next? Uh, for me, my next film is maybe my most personal in the sense. Uh, it's a different film. We're talking about a lot of these iconic movies, a little bit smaller of a movie from 2009. It's a uh, big fan starring Patton Oswalt. Uh, it's a it's a movie maybe not everyone's heard of. It basically, uh, Patton Oswalt plays this uh, uh, kind of down on his luck thirty five year old guy who's a huge fan of the New York Giants. So it partially uh, where, where my love of this movie comes from. Who uh, you know, bad things happen basically. It's it's a movie about fandom and um, how like kind of too far it can go. It's really uh, interesting dark comedy. Um, there's some really great bits of him like calling into these different radio shows and anyone who's ever listened to talk radio uh, especially sports talk radio it does really ring true and ends up kind of getting becoming this personality and coming like this rivalry with a Philadelphia player who calls into the show as well and um, he has some run-ins with the players and that's the idea of him being a huge fan of this team and he's giving so much but getting very little in return so uh, I think it's just a well done and I'm a huge fan of Pat Oswald he's one of my favorite comedians so a lot of things on a personal level where it's why it's on this on this list so it's a it's a good film i think it's a good movie to watch now with like football out it kind of a it, it it's a good examination of kind of the craziness that can be caused by a sports nice. uh, sports scene and things like that so yeah i'm a big fan of Patton oswald so i need to check this one out as well you're just giving me a, a homework assignment today that's your whole mission today dan list as many good films that i yes. haven't seen <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that seems like it's right up my alley. I like Patton Oswalt as well, so I, I need to check that one out. Matt, what do you got next? So for my number 63, uh, probably, I, mean, I don't want to say it doesn't deserve to be on the list, but I watched it a couple of weeks before making the list. So uh, like, I really enjoyed it. It's great. It's uh, It's very recent. Um, probably too recent to make the list. I don't know. I didn't have any rules. It was just what movies I enjoyed. So my number 63 in the same vein as all these superhero movies I guess I have on here is Deadpool. Nice. I think this, like, I say a lot of things like Amazing Spider-Man is one of the closest things to the Spider-Man comics. And, like, The Incredible Hulk is one of the closest to the Incredible Hulk comics. Deadpool might be the closest to the its source material than all of those. Like, those are, like... In their franchises, there's always one that's really close. Deadpool's almost perfect to the Deadpool comic books. Like, there are a couple of things. The origins changed a little bit, um, I think, from what I remember. And and then, again, there's no 100% continuity in the comic books. But, um, like, it's... They so perfectly encapsulate the character. And, like, they could have written that as a comic book tomorrow. And, like, no one would complain. Like, this isn't quite what it was like. Um, it's it's so close and so good. I've got no complaints about it from a comic book movie or just a movie standpoint. It's just good, fun action comedy. Yeah, I was higher on this one than Amanda, but I, I had a lot of fun with with Deadpool as well. I think it was uh, uh, better than I expected, and I think the marketing was genius behind this film. Yeah, I actually just rewatched it the other day. It's it's a fun time. So yeah. Definitely. I don't think you can watch that and not have fun with it, regardless of where you rank it in the different comic book or superhero films. Amanda's rolling her eyes at me. You didn't have fun with Deadpool? I think um, some of it was was fun, but then I was really fucking bored through a lot of it, too. Maybe so. you need to rewatch it. But bored? Yeah, I wasn't... I think maybe she was sleepy or something. Maybe you need it to rewatch like it. It was like the afternoon when we went to go see Maybe this. you were taking a nap. I don't know. 
It was Valentine's Day. I'm <laughs> not taking it. We need to rewatch this. Anyway. What you, sh- <laughs> you should have done, Kevin, was given her a poem and then waited a day. Yeah. <laughs> That's she, what it sounds like. You should have built it up with a fucking cool-ass Shakespeare poem, and then I was all, <laughs> you know, giddy and in, in, in love feeling, and then I would have just liked it, all right? It's your fault. It's your well, fault I didn't like it. Pick? I'm going to stay in the 80s, 1984. Uh, I love this pick. It's The Gremlins. Nice. One of the biggest fucking pop culture movies Ever. If you don't know the Gremlins, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. Uh, I used to scare the crap out of my little brother with this movie. I didn't want him to go play in the basement where I used to hang out, so I'd tell him that Gremlins lived down there and he would avoid it. Uh, The creatures were amazing. They built up this little world that I fucking believed. I was like hook, line, and sinker, and I wanted a fucking mogwai. And I was like, I'm not feeding it after midnight. I'm going to keep it cute. It's not going to rule my life. And I was scared of the gremlins. They were no joke. They would fucking kill you. They would torture you. They would mess you up. It would not be fun. And it was just something I totally bought into and loved. And it's also another one that it's got great rewatchability as an adult, too. I think it would definitely hold up. I love that we're talking about Gremlins. This was so close to making my list. I think uh, kind of Goonies won that spot over from me, but I am a huge fan well, of Gremlins. Luckily, I haven't seen Goonies, so I had a fucking slot for the Gremlins. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Gremlins. It's a, it's a lot of fun. A lot of things done very well and clever in that film. So, uh, 80s nostalgia. I'm all about it. Let's let's stay in the 80s and let's not go back to the 90s. Can I can I do that? Uh, we're t- not gonna stay there. For okay. Long. All right. It was worth a shot. For my next pick, uh, you know, last pick was Shakespeare in Love. I said it may may not deserve to be the best picture of 1998 and that there was other films in 1998 that were probably better than it. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, illustrate that point by having a 1998 film directly ahead of it. Two 1998 films in a row, but for this one I'm going with Tony Kaye's American History X. Love this film. Love uh, just about everything about it. Uh, it's right up my alley. Uh, Edward Norton, crazy, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about American History X. You've either seen it or you haven't, and if you've seen it, you understand why it's on my list. So that's what my number sixty-three is. I I can't say that I enjoy this movie. Definitely a powerful fucking movie. It disturbed the fuck out of me on so many levels. Like I've only seen it once in its entirety and I've seen pieces of it on TV and that's really all I care to see because there's a lot of it that I don't want to see again. Any scene in particular? I'm not going to even talk about it. There's a lot of scenes in it that I don't like and it's super powerful because there really is people or there are people out there you know that were like that and the one thing that I took out of this movie too was if you know somebody's killed somebody and they say don't do something or I will fucking kill you, you better believe that they will fucking kill you because they've killed somebody before. <laughs> like Edward Norton tells that guy, you stay away from my little brother or I'll fucking kill you. Like he really killed somebody, so you might want to listen to him because he will fucking kill you too. So, so that's a lesson learned huh, from that one. That's all I care to think about lesson-wise from that movie, yes. Don't be a racist. Lesson, don't trust skinheads. Yes. <laughs> Good lesson. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Dan, what do you got next? Uh, you talked about how this is like the count, the, the section of the Countdown with a lot of comic book movies, and I do myself have a comic book movie on this list, but a, a different type of comic book movie um, with uh, Sam Mendes' Road to Perdition. Nice. Again, another a crime graphic novel as or crime story, as you can see a pattern here. Um, I, I just really love this film. It 
it uh, it's beautiful. It's great to look at. Roger Deakins cinematography. Yeah, so much things I love. Tom Hanks kicking ass. Jude Laws, this crazy villain, and Paul Newman being Paul Newman. So he's my favorite actor. So anything he's in, I'm inclined to love. So there's just all these elements that I really enjoy. And the, 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 when I think of this movie, that the, like one of the most scenes that I often think about the most is there's this rain shootout where it's completely silent. It's just you know umbrellas with flashing gunfire. It's it's kind of a breathtaking moment that really has stuck with me. And it's a movie that really big reason why i love this movie so much and again i'm not saying road Perdition's a better movie than godfather but for me it you know it again it hit me around the time in 2002 when i'm just kind of i enjoyed movies but i'm starting to enjoy them on another level and it's a big part as a movie like this that like uh, had a lot of those you know fun entertaining aspects but in our art standpoint i think it upped it another level so um i don't know that's my that's it's it for me. So Road for Perdition, number my number, whatever we're on. I don't remember. <laughs> 63. Uh, 63. I, I'm a big fan of Road to Perdition too. It was in a group of films that was fighting to get in this list, and it just barely missed out. If we were doing like 110, I probably would have talked about it. So it's it's really close. Uh, again, I like that genre. I think it's uh, one of the best movies in that genre. It is a loaded genre though, so I, I left. Uh, that one out for in favor probably of, of a couple others that you'll hear coming up later but i i love road to perdition so i'm in agreement with you on that one matt only got a couple slots left what do you have at number 62 so a lot of my movies have been uh superhero movies but a lot of my movies have also been franchise movies and i think that's what i'm going to do now with the uh, pirates of the caribbean franchise i know a lot of people hate them but I love them. I've seen like all of them in theaters except for the first one because I was I was kind of late on that one. But uh, like I think I saw the fourth one two or three times. Like I don't know. I just love them. Like they're ridiculous. They don't care. They don't care. Like that by the by the fourth one. Like like he's like knocking fucking pastries on the ceiling and he's like I'm gonna eat them because I'm Jack Sparrow and I don't even care. And it's just like he doesn't care. And I just love how the movie is just like we're just gonna keep doing these for forever. <laughs> and I'm just gonna keep watching them. I love them. I, I think as each one, each new one comes out, people get more sour on the franchise. But I think if the, if that was a franchise that just had like one or two films, I think it wouldn't get the amount of hate that it does. I think there's so much to like about what they were doing, and hate Johnny Depp all you want, but he is magnificent as that character. Um, I know a lot of people feel like it gets old and stale and whatnot, but I really enjoy. It. I remember seeing the first Pirates of the Caribbean and just being like, this is just a load of fun so i have no problem with it coming up hell no it's so much fun it's it's a ride and it's like a little journey and there's a ton of cool little aspects to it visually it wasn't like a pirate story dude yeah who doesn't want to be a pirate really there we go amanda 62 oh 60 62 uh 91 i don't know if anybody is gonna know this movie <laughs> um <laughs> good setup L- little animated film called rockadoodle Anybody? Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle. That's the animated film. Oh. Yes, I do. I and I had the soundtrack, so. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a rooster yeah. that is kind of like Elvis. Sings like Elvis. His name is Chanticleer, and his singing makes the sun come up every day. All right. Well, some stuff goes down, and they have a tiff with some like mob boss owls. Right. They're gangster owls, and they will come and fuck your farm up. Right. And. <laughs> They will show everybody that you are, are, you know, not as cool as you think you are, Chanticleer. And it really messed them up, right? It brought them down to a level, but then this little boy got turned into a kitty, right? 
And so now he needs to help this little boy get back to his family. And, but it, it's amazing. I love it. It was so much fun. The, the music in it is adorable. It's got Glenn Campbell, Christopher Plummer, Phil Harris. Uh, some just great voice cast and super cool animation and stuff. And it wasn't like top of the line or, or you know, anything that was like spectacular but I loved it and it was a heartwarming little journey and I appreciated it I'm in tears over here um, the only way this is okay if you have like 50 more animated films that come up on the rest of your it's list it's not okay this is a stick out one this is not a Disney movie this is not your run of the mill uh, you know just animation movie that everybody knows I thought this this was something very personal special to me as a kid alright and don't ruin it for me fucker Jesus <laughs> Right. Dan knows. Dan's right. seen it. I did. I don't remember much of it, but I remember I owned the soundtrack. It was like, and he was like Elvis in a Brewster. Yeah. Um, and he like went to it. I don't remember much of it. It's, but yeah. I've not thought about this movie in a very long time. Now I feel very special again. Thank you. I'm pretty certain I watched the first 20 minutes of this movie once that's in the cool. last two years, three years. I think but I don't know if it was. Likes. I don't. I, it might have been at your guys' place. <laughs> I must not have been around. But yeah, I don't know. That's weird. That's a weird. <laughs> That's a weird. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick. Matt saying something's weird. I don't know. <laughs> Everything's weird. That's what makes life fun. <laughs> All right. So Rocket Doodle, add it to your queue, guys that haven't watched it in the last 20 years. 1991? Mm -hmm. Okay, more than that. Alright, for my number 62, I'll go as far away from fun and animated as I possibly can. That's a movie, though, that we've brought up multiple times over the years, Dan, so I don't know how much more we can talk about it. Uh, a lot of people probably have missed it or haven't seen it, so I would urge them to go see that. And that is 2012's film uh, from Thomas Winterberg, and that is The Hunt. We've talked about it before, it just, for me, does so much so much right in, in not shying away from tough subjects and kind of really just going at it uh, as far as kind of just dissecting what all goes into an event like the one that it's depicting and, and the unfairness of, of certain aspects of that and uh, Mads Nicholson is incredible in it and I will never stop touting the praise to The Hunt from 2012. It's a great movie. <laughs> Dan, what do you got next? All right, for my number 62, I'm going to go to a director, uh, a very infamous director, but one that's probably only going to appear on my list once, and that's William Freakin, who, of course, is really well-known for The Exorcist, but The Exorcist is still on my list of shame, so it's not the movie I am choosing, but I am choosing his 1977 film, Sorcerer, which, no, has nothing to do with magic. <laughs> uh, basically, it's a remake of the movie Wages of Fear, and the premise of it, basically, is that you have these two people... Uh, these two groups of people driving trucks that have highly explosive material in the heart of the jungle in order to stop an oil fire that's taking place. And it is, like, tension, tension personified. Uh, it, like, when I think of action set pieces, like, this is a movie I think of, though, like, these set pieces are slow and methodical because, like, they have to be very careful with this, with this uh, chemical because they move around too much explosion so it's it's 
really well directed. It's actually quite interesting hearing William Friedkin talk, Friedkin talk about this movie because he mentions like how awful the person he was making it and how like now the age that he is, he would never be able to make a movie like this because of what they did and the danger that they were in. And so it's kind of an interesting artifact of, of that time. It's a type of movie that probably will never be made again. Um, and uh, it's uh, if you, I actually do on the Blu-ray of this, and it's gorgeous to look at even at this day. So um, it's a really well-made movie that holds up super well. Um, and like it's uh, you know one that you could argue is on along the same lines of its of, of, of the original. But uh, so yeah, that's number sixty-two for me, uh, Sorcerer. Nice. Again, I'll add it to the list. So Matt, last pick for today. Where do you end this part of the segment of the countdown at with your number sixty-one? Another franchise trilogy, uh, probably, probably franchise is a better word, that just defined the early 2000s. Uh, that's The Matrix. Top 100 list worthy, right? Yes. Um, and if 100%, I had choose, and so much yeah. so that I might talk about it later. There we go. <laughs> I mean, clearly that means that you haven't seen some of the ones that are above it on my list because... <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, like... Do, do any of us need to say anything about the Matrix? Like no. it's amazing. Like <laughs> it's it's it defined the early two thousands. Like you can't watch any movie from that time without comparing it, unless it's so disparately different. The the, the only note to to remember for for uh, young people aspiring to be directors is don't come out with a film as groundbreaking as the Matrix and as one of your first major. Uh, outings, I guess, because then you'll just forever be plagued by that film and the fact that you can never live up to that again. But uh... yeah, <laughs> um, and then like especially since the second one had so much like like studio interruption and stuff like, and people that shouldn't have been touching it, touching it, so that yeah. they like they're forever down downward spiral. But anybody that was alive in 1999 that saw The Matrix and was capable of forming thoughts and stuff like that knows how, how groundbreaking and creative and just like something you'd never seen before it was. So I don't know if it has the same effect for people that are, you know, younger that uh, have been exposed to all the different things and seen stuff that kind of t- took off from that and then would watch The Matrix. I don't know if it has the same effect or not, but for anybody that kind of grew up like we did, that was something that uh, you won't forget as far as cinematic experience. So, All right, Amanda, your last pick for today. Where are you going? Uh, actually, Rock-a-doodle to what? I just saw that Guillermo del Toro has already come up on my list, and it's the last time he's going to come up on my list. That's really? Sad. Last time yeah. for Gizmo for you. All right, but my last pick for the day is a 1995 joint, Indian in the Cupboard. Y'all seen this? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> they had a real fucking Indian guy, and it was Lightfoot. <laughs> I had a huge crush on him. In a cupboard, in a really big... <laughs> in a real <laughs> cupboard. In a real fucking cupboard. It was wood and everything. I sneaked it. But uh, he, I had a huge crush on him, too, with his shirt off the whole time and his long, luxurious fucking hair. It was awesome. But it was a really, really heartfelt story when you get onto it, and it, it taught a bunch of cool lessons, like, how, you know, the value of life and... and and uh, also, like, the reality of death and, and consequences of your actions. And I think that it, it did a really good job of putting you into this... It is kind of an intense little journey, and it teaches you a lot along the way. And cry a little bit, but there's also, you know, a couple little funny parts, too. But it definitely 
it, it teaches kids, you know, the consequences of their actions and, and kind of the, the gravity of things and, and especially like how, how you value one life over the other or, or, you know, how your choices affect other people, so. All right. I love the nostalgia pick here, Indian in the Cupboard. I do remember seeing this when it came out and enjoying it. I have not seen it since whatever year you said it came out. In 95. We had the cool VHS, but, like, the side of the VHS, like, the plastic case, it, it looked like it had a little, little keyhole, and it came with a little key so you could pop open the... Was there a little Indian in it? That you came with a little Indian, yeah. <laughs> but the, then the, the tape would be in there. Nice. Oh, man. As, as a big-time toy collector, I've never seen this movie, but, like, it kind of frightens me as a oh, concept. Yeah. Please see it, though. Please see it. <laughs> see and it then and think about back. all of your toys that you have, and you're like, fuck, which ones would I put in this cupboard? Because he, <laughs> yep. he puts things in there, and they become alive. Like, yeah. That's, that's terrifying. <laughs> but I had the same feeling about Toy Story to some degree, where I didn't trust my toys for years after seeing that movie. <laughs> Small soldiers, too. I got no trust for those motherfuckers. <laughs> Dude, don't put military chips in your toys. <laughs> they will take over and play Spice Girls. A lot of things mentioned that I was not expecting today. Um, for my number 61, I'll go to a film that Amanda is not going to appreciate being on my top 100. But uh, it was the number one film for me of the year that it came out. And kind of one of those things that you kind of hear the term instant classic for. Uh, for me, it does hold up to that title, and that's why, even though it's more recent, it's worthy enough for me to put this high on my countdown. Number 61 for me is my favorite film from 2014, and that would be Whiplash. Uh, I just enjoyed that film beyond compared. J.K. Simmons was phenomenal, and uh, I think most people have heard people uh, talk about it in the last couple of years. I don't care how much Amanda is making throw-up <laughs> sounds, and, and, and she's acting like she's gagging over there, but uh, I think Whiplash is, a, is an incredible film, and I'm sorry that it's not for you, Amanda, but it's awesome. God. <laughs> All right. Dan, save me and change the subject. Uh, I, okay. I will do that. <laughs> uh, for my number 61, weirdly, last time we did this, I ended on a documentary. I'm doing that again. That wasn't really planned, but it's how it works out. Uh, for my 61, I'm going to go with a 1990 fil 1999 film, American Movie. Uh, basically, it's a movie about these this uh, inspiring filmmaker who maybe has more inspiration than he does talent, and it's kind of awkwardly funny. Think if uh, and we've seen a lot of movies since this that have similar characters and styles, like something like Anvil, Story of Anvil. A lot of that was started with American movie. It's both hilarious and inspiring, awkward and hard to watch at times but really enjoyable but I know it's just interesting seeing someone have a, a huge amount of passion and even if maybe the, what they're doing is questionable and the sacrifices they're willing to make and um, you know it's it's a, a, a good time it's a it's very solid documentary very watchable so it's my number 61 American movie alright so that's it for today's countdown our 70 through 61. Matt, real quickly, just remind people what you revealed on your countdown today. Alright, so I started with Gone with the Wind, then The Day the Earth Stood Still, then the X-Men franchise, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Cap Out, the Spider-Man movies, The Last Starfighter, Deadpool, Pirates of the Caribbean, and I finished it off with The Matrix. Excellent, Amanda. What was your reveal today? Uh, I've got The Mummy, Men in Black, Constantine, Twister, X-Men, Hellboy, 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Gremlins, Rockadoodle, and The Indian in the Cupboard. And for my section of the countdown today, we had Pleasantville, Forrest Gump, Passion of the Christ, Stranger Than Fiction, The Social Network, Shawshank Redemption, Shakespeare in Love, I can't, I didn't realize I had so many S films, uh, American History X, The Hunt, and Whiplash. Dan, what about you? I had uh, Black Hawk Down at number 70, then The Godfather, Life of Pi, Before Midnight at 67, uh, The Killing, Das Boot, Big Fan at 64, Road to Perdition, Sorcerer, and I finished it off at 61 with American Movie. All right, so you guys will have to let us know what your thoughts are as we get a little bit further into the countdown. We only have one more on this side of 50 to go, and then it will be into the cream of the crop in the top 50. So let us know what your thoughts are so far. You agree? You disagree? Who's got the list that most uh, kind of matches up with your own personal preferences? And, uh, and let us know if you're enjoying this process or not. You can do all of that by going to the website geekcastradio.com and commenting on the episode post. While you're there, check out our other episodes and comment on those as well. Let us know what you think so far of the Miyazaki Spotlight and what you think about our journey through the world of video games, video game films to be specific. You can also interact with us on Twitter. The show Twitter handle is at CinemaGeekCast. My individual Twitter, if you want to contact me, is at OptimusSolo. Amanda, your Twitter is? HardCandyMandy, eyes, no eyes. Dan, yours is? At MovieRevolt. And Matt, yours is? Um, at Fridley Set. All right, so get in touch with us there, and we would love to interact with you there. But otherwise, until next week, this has been the Cinema Geeks, and tune in next week for another chance to listen to the Cinema Geeks, as I keep saying Cinema Geeks over and over. 